And you're listening to KPFA. The time is 3.30. Stay tuned for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Locked in combat. Junkie Soul versus Pete Happy ending. Nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money. Every Friday, happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. The shadow out of this is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. I hope you're not listening or watching the news. Um, what I heard or saw before I left home today uh, was enough to take the top of my head off uh, as W.H. Auden said, yes, we learn every day what every school child knows, those to whom, those to whom violence is done, to whom evil is done, do evil in return. It doesn't look good, folks. Um, before I start with my book and my premium, let me read you, uh, it's my oldest prayer, it's, um, Old T.S. Eliot, back in 1930, Ash Wednesday. <laughs> I guess some people think T.S. Eliot was a fundamentalist. Who knows? Uh, for him, it all came down to the blood of the Lamb. In Ash Wednesday, he wrote, And God said, Prophesy to the wind, to the wind only, for only the wind will listen. Blessed Sister, Holy Mother, Spirit of the Fountain, Spirit of the Garden, suffer us not to mock ourselves with falsehood. Teach us to care and not to care. Teach us to sit still, even among these rocks, our peace in His will, and even among these rocks, Sister, Mother, Spirit of the River. Spirit of the sea, suffer me not to be separated, and let my cry come unto thee. The separation grows worse every hour. Uh, oh, I made a mistake and listened to the hearings first this morning, and then I heard about this hideous video, the decapitation video, apparently. Suppose that will be on the evening news. Um, yes, here we go. Adrian Rich said it back in 1993. War is bestowed like electroshock on the depressive nation. Thousands of volts jolting the system and artificial galvanizing. One effect of which is loss of memory. War comes as absolute failure of imagination. Scientific 
and political, yes. Margaret Mead, many, many years ago, said, Our human situation no longer permits us to make armed dichotomies between those who are good and those who are evil, those who are right and those who are wrong. The first blow dealt to the enemy's children will sign the death warrant of our own. Oh, boy. Um, yes, the first casualty in every war is truth. <laughs> I tried this morning, I tried to cheer myself up. I listened to these guys, um, you know, with the BS, the hearings in Congress. Um, round and round they go, and I played my old Malvina Reynolds records. You know Malvina Reynolds, that old... Uh, liberal, liberal. <laughs> the song that goes, you think you've hit bottom. Oh, no. There's a low below the low we know. You think you've hit bottom. Oh, no. There's a bottom below. Looks like we may just have hit it today. Uh, oh, the powers that be, the powers that be. How did they get the power? That's the question, boys and girls. How did we give it to them? How did we let these single-minded, simple-minded folks uh, take over the government? I'm not sure what it is that drives them. These are the guys that, you know, have no doubts. They are, uh, what is it, absolutists, single-minded. That's the old brain at work. The Greeks told us all about that, you know, when the ruler of the state has hubris, arrogance, overweening pride. Then after that comes Nemesis. That's the goddess of justice, the comeuppance when we get ours. Uh, the fate of those who follow that will to power, drive to power. Uh, I'm not so interested, frankly, in what happens to them as in what they call collateral damage. That is, how they manage to take all the rest of us with them. Of course, it's just primate grandiosity, you know. Send in the Marines. They never ask, to what end? Uh, yes, the object, of course, is to fight, to make war. What we're going to do, um, you know, once we won the war, that, that was apparently not broached. Uh, I was watching President Bush last night on um, the Jesus Factor. I glanced at it again. It's the... Uh, Frontline program about the uh, president's pathology, his uh, born again Christianity, uh, and uh, <laughs> he said that he said that governments can't tell people what to do and how to be good. Only God can do that. I thought, well, let's get let's get George, uh, let's get him into the seminary wherever. Let him get his certificate. Uh, his theology is very bad, so let's correct his theology and let him go be a clergyman. That's his proper uh, role in life if he really wants to be uh, a Christian soldier, um, a man for Christ. The uh, uh, pictures, the pictures on television this week have, I think, taken everybody to a new place. Uh, I find that the denial um, on the part of um, our rulers is absolutely awesome. They're perfectly happy to deny um, what they see, 
the president simply said, the America that you see in those pictures does not exist. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, you know, it's Orwellian. War is peace. Destruction is construction. Occupation is liberation. Whatever. And the funny thing is, the bigger and badder the lie, the more likely the people will buy it. Uh, of course, when the dust settles, the people will have time to reflect, to think. We knew all this, you know, oh, God, years ago, uh, before the war even began. Now, of course, it's too late. The dead are still dead. Uh, but the tyrants eventually, finally, will fall from favor. Uh, I wonder why, why we can't fix things, you know, before, before all hell breaks loose, uh, See Bob Woodward's book, um, Plan of Attack. Check that one out. Um, and Richard Clark's book, Against All Enemies. Hopefully all these books will help um, get us a regime change in the next uh, election. Check out the New Yorker magazine, George Packer's article, War After the War. That's the um, 23 November 2003 that's the first one that I cut out and pasted on the wall. Now, in the current New Yorker, Hendrik Hertzberg has a review of Bob Woodward's book, Plan of Attack. Check that out. It's the 10 May 2004 issue of the New Yorker. Hertzberg states that Woodward gives us the how of the war on Iraq in all its madness, but the why is still open, you know. Why did George Bush do this? I'll skip to the very end of the article because I've got a book premium here to give you and I've got so much here I'm just flustered let's see uh, this review in the 10 May New Yorker is called In the Soup by Hendrik Hertzberg Bob Woodward's plan of attack and he goes all through all the stuff that we've heard about endlessly but uh Let's see. In the book, Woodward is recounting one of his tape-recorded interviews with the president. And this is what we call, what I call the Oedipal angle. Um, yes, Bush the first and then Bush the lesser. George Herbert and George W. Anyway, Woodward asks about um, Bush the first in this way. Uh, here is the one living human being who held this office, who had to make a decision to go to war. And it would not be credible if you did not at some point ask him, what are the ingredients of doing this right? Or what's your thought? This is what I'm facing, Bush replied. That's George Bush. Uh, if it wouldn't be credible, I guess I'd better make up an answer. End of quote. <laughs> Last night on the Jesus Factor... George W. rattled along the way he does. He said, you know, one day I spent a weekend with um, Billy Graham. You know, that kind of... Uh, poor guy. And Bush struggles to remember uh, a, quote, poignant moment with his father. He's doing this for, for Bob Woodward for the book. And he comes up empty. I can't remember a moment where I said to myself, maybe he can help me make the decision, he says. That's George Bush. He says, I'm trying to remember. I don't remember. Uh, I could ask him, see if he remembers something. Finally, here's a quote from George Bush. 
The discussions would be more on the tactics. How are we doing? How are you doing with the Brits? He is following the news now, and I am briefing him on what I see. You know, he is the wrong father to appeal to in terms of strength. There is a higher father that I appeal to. End of quote from George Bush. Obviously, we've got a messianic megalomaniac um, in the White House. Yes, he thinks his earthly father is weak. <laughs> if you're really interested in the pathology of all this, check out a book. Uh, if anybody can find a copy, hang on to it for me because I've lost mine. Uh, it's a book called About Men. It's written by Phyllis Chesler the author of the famous Women in Madness years ago. And uh, it's an amazing book. She goes from her personal history. She was married to an um, uh, Arab from uh, Lebanon, you know, and she went over there and got into all kinds of trouble. But she uses psychology, history, art, um, mythology, everything. And it all boils down in her book, pretty much boils down to the, let's call it the tension, the relationship between fathers and sons. Um, the father-wounded son is a subject that I have tackled in poetry. I find that very few people care to read <laughs> much. I mean, very few men. Women are more understanding. Never mind. Uh, check out your New Yorker if you need more facts. Yes, the fact-free White House... Uh, it's so frightening. No. Jennifer, get to your book, Thornton Wilder, The Bridge of San Luis Rey, a novel. I wanted to bring this in today because I desperately need a moral fable, something literary, something large, something old. This book was written in the 1920s, and uh, it's one of those universal books that questions existence. And it's always a great comfort, you know, to find a, a morally stunning uh, poem. This is more poem than prose, I think of it always. Uh, let's see. Tony Blair actually used it uh, when he was commemorating the victims of the attack on the World Trade Center. Would you believe that? Old British Prime Minister Tony Blair wrote came over here and he read the closing sentences of The Bridge of San Luis Rey by Thornton Wilder. Let me read those to you. Russell Banks writes the foreword and he put this at the end. Um, the paragraph goes, But soon we shall die, and all memory of those five who died on the bridge will have left the earth, and we ourselves shall be loved for a while and then forgotten. But the love will have been enough. All those impulses of love return to the love that made them. Even memory is not necessary for love. There is a land of the living and a land of the dead, and the bridge is love, the only survival, the only meaning. Now, once again, copies of this book will be available at the end of the hour. Susan Stone's going to come in here and help me plug. Uh, I have pages and pages in this book marked. I wish I had hours to read it to you. My favorite are the passages about the capacity for love, which I think about again and again watching those uh, moral idiots in the pictures, you know, torturing each other. Uh, 
Oh, I don't know. It's, it's the sort of feeling you get. I remember the first time my mother explained to me that it wasn't right, you know, to tease or torment a puppy. And she walked me around the block. Oh, for hours. We had let the, we had let the puppy fall from the top of the, uh, uh, the double-decker bed. And she explained that this would drive the mother insane. I think I must have been school age, about six years old. But, you know, unless someone comes along and points out to you that other people feel as you do, you cannot develop any empathy. Where is Susan? There she is. I see her. I saw her. There she is. <laughs> Let me tell you just a little bit more about this book before we start this arduous plugging business. Uh, this is the kind of book that every teacher, I think, needs to have. And, um, of course, Thornton Wilder was a teacher. He has some wonderful letters in the back of this book about reasons for teaching and why he stuck with it even after he made a fortune, believe it or not, on this book. Um, uh, let's see. Russell Banks Forward starts, Thornton Wilder's Bridge of San Luis Rey is as close to perfect a moral fable as we're ever likely to get in American literature. It was written near the end of the Roaring Twenties by a man barely out of his own twenties. In its exquisite universality and ease of timeless application, it is almost biblical. I would say that it is, yes. To me, literature is always sacred text. That's what it's for. Uh, I think, you know, the Bible is literature, come to think of it. Uh, the central question raised by the novel, according to Wilder, was simply, is there a direction, meaning in lives, beyond the individual's own will? The novel begins at noon, July 20th, 1714, when a bridge on the royal road between Lima and Cusco, the finest bridge in all Peru, inexplicably collapses, and five people who happen at that moment to be crossing the bridge plummet to their deaths. The bridge seemed to be among the things that last forever it was unthinkable that it should break. <laughs> and then along comes um, an anxious Franciscan missionary to the natives, uh, Brother Juniper. And he decides, you know, to use this accident to prove, <laughs> yes, to prove, yes, that God exists. Uh, he wants to do a scientific investigation, investigation into the will of God, uh, he wants to prove to his converts, the poor, obstinate converts, so slow to believe that their pains were inserted into their own lives for their own good. He wants to prove that our destiny is controlled by God. Of course, for uh, Thornton Wilder, this book is an anatomy of despair. But like the author, we all have moments when we think that there is more to it than that, a little more to it. You can compare Voltaire's Candide... Uh, <laughs> yes, in which the foolish man is the one who believes that this is, that all is for the best in all possible, in this best of all possible worlds. Susan, tell me uh, a little bit. Susan Stone is head of the Drama and Literature Department. She's here with me now. She is related to Thornton Wilder. I am so impressed. I can't believe. How is Thornton Wilder uh, related to you? He was born, what is it, 1897, died in 75, 1975. That's not the reason you're doing this show, is it? 
<laughs> Bringing me in like this, catching me off guard. Actually, okay. I, I couldn't. I didn't want I to interrupt a good story, which no, no, is what no. you're reading from today. Right. No, he yeah, he, he graduated from Berkeley High. He's a local boy. He is a local boy, and it's pretty exciting. You're bringing us the classic, this extraordinary story. Um, and we know so much about burning bridges these days. You were talking about the news items today and falling bridges and um, the power of this story. It's uh, very exciting. It's a thank you gift today for listeners who called us to, to support this show, this yeah. wonderful woman who's doing this program, this station. Um, Thornton Wilder is actually related to my husband's side of the family. And uh, they're... Um, many I think I'll let back. you claim your husband as a relative. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. That's right. I just wanted to be exact. <laughs> okay, okay. But keep going, please. Okay, the novel, the novel lives on, says Russell Banks, generation after generation, not only for the excellence of its style and so forth and so on, but for its essential humanity. Uh, let's see, he goes on a great deal here about trying to puzzle out the mind of God, hoping thereby to justify the ways of God to man. <laughs> An impossible task. What I love about this book is that one minute you think you've got it, one minute you seem to see a meaning, a connection, a reason, you know, for the tragedy, and the next there's a total contradiction. There's absolutely no reason, no, um, what is it, my favorite character, the Marquesa, when she finally gives up, trying to persuade her her only child to love her she finds a substitute a wonderful little orphan child that has been uh, her companion for years that she's neglected and when she finally turns to this child and becomes wiser and decides to you know apply um, some affection they both die and uh, it's that you know it's too late just that that moment when we when we do get wise then suddenly it's all over, which, of course, is to me, that's always the, the cruelest moment. Uh, in any case, let's see. The bit that I was going to read to you, um, <laughs> well, let me read you a little bit from one of Thornton Wilder's letters. Uh, he writes, the book is not supposed to solve. The book is supposed to be as puzzling and distressing as the news that five of your friends died in an automobile accident. I dare not claim that all sudden deaths are, in the last counting, triumphant. As you say, a little over half the situations seem to prove something, and the rest escape or contradict. Chekhov said the business of literature is not to answer questions, but to state them fairly. I claim that human affection contains a strange, unanalyzable consolation, that's all. People who are full of faith claim the book is a vindication of their optimism. Disillusioned people claim that it is barely, it is a barely concealed anatomy of despair. I am nearer the second group than the first. Uh, <laughs> yes, the interesting thing is that Thornton Wilder himself was um, a surviving twin. His twin brother died at birth. Two of the characters in this story uh, are twin brothers. And Thornton Wilder says something that I have always questioned. It confuses me. Uh, these two brothers love one another in a way that takes precedence over the passion of one of the brothers for the actress, Camilla. And, uh, yes, Thornton Wilder writes, Behind all the different kinds of love, there is one common denominator. Women recognize this when they are jealous of their husband's love of his work, or his mother, or even his tennis. There is a certain equivalence in all the directions in which a man 
may enter his will, and passion is one of the lesser loves. Okay. 1926, how old would he have been? 26, 27, 28, 29. <laughs> yes. Passion is one of the lesser loves, and he has, oh, so many passages in this book. I used to love to teach them uh, in high school about loves that are not, um, you know, man-woman relationship loves. The love of Uncle Pio, this old um, Rue, basically, he's, an, uh, he's a con man. He finds a girl, a child, um, orphan, and uh, he turns her into the greatest actress in Lima, Peru. And uh, his affection for her is so total that even when she completely rejects him, um, he's still devoted to her. It's it's hard. Let's see. We oh oh, we've only got five minutes, Susan. Susan. Well, I would never have dropped the in on number. your radio show except that this is the second day of our fun drive, and Jennifer, the door was unlocked. I walked in here thank you, thank to you. tell listeners that you can honor Jennifer in the very best possible way on this second day of our fun drive by pledging support to her edition of. I started to say her version of cover to cover, her edition yeah, right. of cover just, to cover. How about just a regular membership, just the $60? Absolutely. $60 will take 5 10 15 okay. The thank you gift, one of the ways we inveigle pledges is a thank you gift at the $60 rate. You can get the very beautiful reissue, republication of Thornton Wilder's The Bridge of San Luis Rey, from which she's been reading. Jennifer Stone, certainly one of my okay, heroes. Okay, guys, you've got a call. 1-800-439-5732. Please show your support for this very, very special program. All of Cover to Cover means so much to so many of you. I hear from you so often upstairs where I work after these folks have gone home at 4 o'clock. They call about your shows, Jen, about Jack Foley, about Denny Smith and Richard Walensky. So many of you bringing the spoken and printed word to the airways. But today is Jennifer's Day at 1-800-439-5732, a $60 pledge of support for Bridge San Luis Ray. 1-800-HEY-KPFA-H-E-Y-HEY-KPFA. That's so easy to remember. 1-800-HEY-KPFA and... I don't know who said this. The great art is to mix truth with fiction in order to join the credible and the surprising. Jennifer. <laughs> well, what, <laughs> you, you know. <laughs> you uh, one this one thing I wrote in the margin here, Oscar Wilde in that wonderful play, The Importance of Being Earnest. Do you remember when they're educating the little girl, the little snippy girl? Uh, uh, she says, listen, dear, she said, um, she's describing a novel to the child. She says, the good ended happily and the bad unhappily. That is what fiction means. one 800 439 In this book, it doesn't work out that well, way. Well, you are the weave of fact and fiction. We yes. don't, um, I mean, a lot of us didn't even know about the news story you were referring to. And um, so I think as soon as the show's over, I've got to go catch up. Um, yeah, or in, do I want yeah, to catch no, up? No, you don't. No, you don't. In great literature, you don't get uh, a pat answer. You don't get a fundamentalist or absolutist. But I, I must say, the thing that's very important to me about Cover to Cover is it is about the diversity of programming on KPFA. And it also is, um, I think, representative of the reflective voice of KPFA. Those of you who are thinking beyond even the backstory, Jennifer was talking to me earlier about how low do we go in these times where do we hit bottom and the bottom below that bottom um, I think 
Jennifer for these programs. You can thank Jennifer now and do please with a phone call 1-800-439-5732. The spoken word programs have very little um, airtime on KPFA, certainly not enough. Now's the time you can say it matters that you hear this series of programs on Book Talk and uh, the reflective voices. We got to go for some eternal verities here, folks. We do. The, uh, the eternal verities aren't so eternal anymore, but I think, you know, I, I don't do know think it's no, the bonfire of the verities. It's they're always like... they're always the same. You know, we got up this morning, we got a Greek tragedy on one channel and a Roman farce on the other. It's all out there. It's unbelievable how human nature absolutely never changes. We're going to be bringing back some of that drama next week. We're going to have next Tuesday and Wednesday a return to the September 11th commission hearings. <gasps> yes, we oh. do. In fact, you won't. Um, Jennifer won't be with us next week. Now's the time to pledge support. So please, in the moment remi- remaining, we've only got about a minute before we go to Thank you. Hard Knock you, Radio. Yeah. Please call us at one 800 Thornton Wilder is our thank you gift. The Bridge of San Luis Rey. And the local number Number is in the five and dime area code eight four eight fifty seven thirty two KPFA. That's it. Five one zero eight forty eight KPFA is the local phone number, folks. Jennifer Stone has written so many essays on literature and politics. Stone's Throw. Many of you may know it. If not, that beautiful prize-winning collection from the Before Columbus America Book Award. She's written essays on film and television, Mind Over Media. Certainly a great hallmark of her work. Jennifer, this is when I get to do this. You have to let me. Telegraph Avenue then, Loose Leaves from a Little Black Book. She is certainly a voice that we treasure. Thank you for pledging support. You can continue to call as we go to Hard Knock Radio, 1-800-439-5732. Thank you for letting me crash your party for a few moments. Thank you for coming in and helping me. I'm the world's clumsiest saleswoman. <laughs> She'll be back two weeks from now with Alice Randall. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Walk in light, light em up, boys. There's your picture, drop the shadow. Act One is a radio drama series where the play.